0: I'm Diane Hullett. Welcome to the Best Life, Best Death podcast. Today, I've got a wonderful guest, Dana Frost of the Forest Joy Project. Welcome, Dana.
1: Hi, thank you.
0: I'm excited. I first heard of Dana when I spoke with Jamie uh, Kramer of Beyond Forests earlier this summer. And Jamie and Dana both live in Northern Michigan. And they, they were. Dana was just telling me when they found each other, they were like, woohoo, another young person in the death field. So. <laughs> I think that's great. I I was really moved when uh, Jamie said, you know, check out Dana's work and I started following you on Instagram. Your, your story is a compelling one and I think it's not as unusual as we think on some level. So I'd love to just kind of, you know, just introduce yourself. Tell us who you are and how you got into what you're doing now.
1: Yeah. Um, as you mentioned, I'm Dana Frost. Um, I so I run a company that helps provide support and community for grievers, essentially, um, called The Force Joy Project. I started it in a very unjoyful time of my life. Um, my husband was diagnosed with terminal cancer, and it was just in a space where we, you know, we were both very positive, hopeful people. And it was just one of these moments where we could both kind of feel that waning and the mood in the house and it was just it was a really dark time and I I truly felt desperate like I felt desperate for something positive for some sort of happy moment in the middle of all of this grief and sadness and fear that we were going through um and I went to Brad and I was just like we need to find joy like we need to figure out how to find joy like very determined like this is what we're gonna do um And Brad is, he was realist and he was just like, you want us to force joy, like rolled his eyes was like, what are you talking about? And we, we did, we just started like acknowledging moments that were not horrific. And so much of our life then felt horrific. It was in and out of the hospital, um, multiple surgeries, you know, complications with everything. And so it was Just being really intentional of like, what are these little moments in the middle of all of this that we could be like, this is not a horrible moment. You know, this is a a moment of joy. And sometimes it was a song or, you know, a joke we would tell or a card from someone like it was just these truly tiny little moments. Um, And yeah, that's kind of how it all began.
0: Yeah. Like these tiny little snippets that you grabbed onto and you described, I mean, you went into the hospital the first time thinking like, oh, you know, okay, he's got an infection. Let's figure out what mm-hmm. this is. Both thinking, well, here's a totally treatable thing. Right. The immediate diagnosis was cancer.
1: Yeah. 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 From the um the emergency room, he went in because he had had some symptoms, night sweats, fevers and they yeah they thought it was an infection and then didn't go away and so we had a friend that was a doctor and he was like why don't you just go in I'll call like them tell them they're coming you're coming and got there like late in the evening and yeah and our friend actually ended up coming just after midnight and showed up and he's the one that gave us the news instead of having it be from some random doctor that we didn't know and I can only imagine what that was like for him to like like what a brave step to come in and, and deliver that news to your, two of your closest friends that huge, that basically you're going to die. And he didn't say that. And we held on hope pretty much the entire time that we would be the ones that were different, you know, with this rare terminal cancer. Um, and I think that's being young and not having experience with grief or death or wanting to acknowledge that.
0: Right. And so he died really within a hundred, I think hundred Yeah, it was
1: a hundred days. Yeah, just over three months. Yeah.
0: And I love, you know, I was reading on your website, you described Brad, and and Brad was such a courageous and forward and kind of beautiful writer and speaker, mm-hmm. and really felt compelled to share himself. And I loved you, you had this one line where you said, you know, he always wanted more. Mm-hmm. He wanted more curiosity, more conversation, more time, more connection. And I I love that sense. I just got a sense in that one sentence of how um, hungry he was to drink yeah. this life he'd been given and this time with you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's so interesting because I feel like for somebody, like it was a frustrating thing when I was married to him because like you have everything, like life is great. Like he was so successful and so, like everyone loved him and he had so much and it truly was this thirst to to soak it all in. And I think at the time I was just like, like what, what more is there? And I'm like, I think maybe like somehow he knew, like maybe that this was like we life is short. This is all we have. I want to connect with everything. I want to feel everything. I want to live this, you know, this small existence I have in every possible way. And it was just kind of this infectious way to live even before he got sick. This is how he always lived. And certainly after the diagnosis, I think so many of us around him just kind of like tried to soak that up and learn from him.
0: Yeah. And then how did it go from, well, and prior to that, you'd had your own cancer work, mm-hmm. your late twenties. And mm-hmm. so how did it go from kind of this moment of you and Brad saying, all right, we're going to force joy. Here we go. Let's make mm-hmm. it happen. And finding these little snippets. How did it go to that, from that to something bigger?
1: Yeah. it. At, so after Brad died, I kind of continued just like posting on Instagram. Here are the moments of joy. Um, But it eventually became my place to just write about grief. Like, you know, if you go back to my early posts, it's very heavy in grief and it's very much this is what it looks like. This is what it feels like, because I felt like I couldn't find that in other people. And I think we're much better now. So this is I'm coming on six years. We have like this amazing community on the Internet and on social media in this grief space, especially in like this younger community. But that didn't exist or not in a place that I could find um, and I just wanted to, to get it out of like my body. You know, I needed these words I needed to, to express myself. So it started there and I slowly just got other people that would find me and be like, this is me too. You know, I'm experiencing this too. Thank you for sharing because so much of this is messy. It's messy. You feel uncomfortable. You feel like you're doing it wrong. There's guilt, there's shame. There's all of these negative emotions that are associated with grief and It kind of became this mission of mine of like, I don't want people to feel the negative emotions already in a a, a pretty down negative time, you know, and that grief is this all encompassing part of life. There's joy there. There's sorrow there. There's everything in between. Um, And I think it was a couple of years later where it started. I, you know, I started a website, create, started finding resources, started connecting with other people on a more serious level. Um, but it truly was just, I wanted people to have a place to share their stories and connect over what that grief experience looked and felt like.
0: Yeah. And stories is really a big piece of it. People mm-hmm. people being able to tell their story and tell what happened to them and happened to their loved one or what what they're mm-hmm. experiencing. And and then describe, I, I know you talked about how really what you wanted when, when Brad died was you wanted more stories about him.
1: Mm-hmm. Mhm, yeah, I, um, you know, people ask what they can do in grief. They ask how they can help. And there's all the kind of traditional things we can bring lasagna. We can send flowers. We can do all of these things that are helpful. But I, was, I just wanted people to talk about Brad. I wanted to feel like his memory was being kept alive by other people because I think sometimes we feel like we're the only people holding, you know, the people in his most inner circle are the only one that holds this memory. And there's so many people whose lives were touched by Brad. And I wanted to hear all of their stories, people that knew him before I knew him, people that had different stories than me. Um, it just felt like the only comforting gift that, that somebody could give me.
0: And did they, did you want those in writing? Did you want those speaking? Like, I think it sort of evolved into this book you made.
1: It did. Yeah. So, um, it became a book. So I had everyone send it to me and it ended up being a product that I now sell as part of the four story project called the book of stories, <laughs> very creative. Um, and yeah, essentially I just asked for stories. And so if somebody wants to create one for a loved one, they get a link that goes to their own book and they just share that link with everyone and they can share stories about the person. And I collect them and put it into a little hardcover book that they get to keep and have forever.
0: Neat, neat. So you've, you've inspired people to create stories and then to, um, you've got a way to share those, like to bind them and actually mm-hmm. share them. You know, I'm I'm struck by too, I, I think I've talked about this before on the podcast, but I gave my dad for Christmas last year something called Story Worth. Mm-hmm. I can tell you that? And I wonder yeah. if Story Worth has a way to kind of like, could multiple people add to story worth as a venue to to capture those stories? But but I am I'm struck by the power of that because the stories get lost so quickly. Yeah. It's kind of amazing to me. Like my mother-in-law really gave me some wonderful pieces of jewelry and they all had a story behind them. And I'd listen to the story or she'd tell it more than once. I think, oh yeah, yeah, I'll always remember that. Yeah, well, you know, multiple years down the road here. And I look at the earrings and I go, what was the, who yeah. were they from again? So it's, it's really something to, it's a real gift to write them down in a tangible form. And, and I'm just mm-hmm. thinking about the stories behind things when I say yeah. that, that the stories of someone's lives are so powerful. So how do we, how do we save those and share those and keep that person in our hearts and in our conversations?
1: Yeah and I think so you know so a lot of the people in my network are young widows and they have children and kids that will grow up not knowing one of their parents and so for me it, that truly has been like the most beautiful thing when I get to see that and they dedicate it to their kids that maybe won't know their dads or will only know this like tiny piece of their dads and to get to see through their friends eyes through other family members eyes as they grow up and get to keep that is just truly special.
0: Really, really important. Really important. Yeah, and yeah. and ultimately kind of have has a you know has a healing quality. Not that it yeah. makes that pain end, but it it mutes it a little, maybe perhaps. Yeah, or yeah. opens up the opens up the vista to some other um ways of seeing. Yeah, I love that. Open
1: up the vista.
0: Yeah. What yeah, is it's beautiful? This- What do you feel like the, um, you know, what's on the horizon in terms of, I mean, I know Instagram and Facebook are these fascinating places to create connection online. And of course the pandemic kind of threw everybody into those
1: Mm -hmm. online
0: spaces, because, you know, if, if what you used to do was find a grief group for widows that met at the library on Tuesday nights, that all stopped. Yeah. people did turn to online communities and what's out there now.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know if there's a lot out there now. Um, I think there's kind of grief coaching that exists. It's really helpful and more directed one-on-one. But in terms of connecting, I know there are some virtual grief groups, um, but I haven't found any that really work. And that's been a little bit of my frustration with, like, I love the community that has been built mostly on Instagram for me. Um, but it feels very one-sided. It feels like I kind of am this gatekeeper between all these other people that are sharing their stories with me. And I'm like, well, you guys should be connecting. You guys should talk because your story is so similar. And really that's what I want to exist is this way for everyone to connect in this space and hear each other's stories and understand that however you're doing grief, however you're surviving is okay. And it looks different for everybody. And I think the more we share that, the more we feel empowered to live life in a way that works, and you know, and in, in our existence post loss,
0: right? Right. Keep you keep putting one foot in front of the other because you mm-hmm. have to, right? But you don't have to do it alone. I think no, that, that's yeah. so powerful. So so working towards creating some grief communities that um, can connect people with e- with each other, not necessarily with like you said, like a coach or a therapist one-on-one, but more like with other widows.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so that is, that's what I'm working on now is creating that. And I think part of that is resources. It is doing, you know, a little Q&A with experts. It's bringing someone on because I think there's so much in, especially as a widow, but, you know, in any kind of grief that you have to deal with, that's logistically, that's emotionally, that's kind of the mental barriers. And so trying to create a space where you can learn from people, Um, You can ask experts questions in a safe environment um, or just listen to questions from other people and then also talk about it with people that maybe understand and get what you're going through.
0: Like really get it. Yeah. Yeah. I really feel like there are an enormous number of resources available online and there's a lot of barriers to that because you have to be ready to look for it. You have to want to find it. You have to reach out and connect. And you know, sometimes in the midst of grief, even that just feels like too much. So I, yeah. I always think about how do we inject these kind of conversations upstream so mm-hmm. that in the midst of your 100 days with your husband, you're not think you know you're not having to go find that. Then you already knew it
1: existed. Right, right, exactly. And it, truly, I hope that this community is something that would be a gift to give. If someone you know in your life has lost a spouse, is grieving, to be like, I don't know what you're going through. I can't understand. But what I can gift you is this community. What I can gift you is a group of people who do understand and who get it. And I'm what a beautiful gift that would be, you know, to to know that this exists and is there when they're ready and to have resources that they need when they're ready.
0: Right. Right. Exactly. Cuz the cuz it's not you you yeah, I go back to like we don't have to be completely alone in it. Mm-hmm. And there are times that that one wants to be alone mm-hmm. and that's totally legit as well. But but when you want community, it's out there. It's Right. Incredible. Right. Uh, I love you've got some fabulous um products that you sell and one of them is your wonderful kind of controversial t-shirt, you know, that's uh-huh. uh, fuck fine, right? Uh-huh. And, and I think what I love about it is it just like it takes that, that phrase, I'm fine, which mm-hmm. you end up just saying, and it kind of turns it on its head, you know? Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's great. And I'm, I'm sure it's offensive to some people, but I think it's
1: offensive to a lot of
0: people, <laughs> my mother included, <laughs> <laughs> but it captures kind of a, like the rage, I think that you probably felt when Brad died. And that's, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. I definitely was a person that grew up saying, I'm fine, everything is fine, you know, and like held everything in. And so I think it's why it's so meaningful for me in particular, because it felt like kind of breaking out of that space where I had to stay silent. And this is like across a lot of areas of my life, not just grief, but I think it's so common, especially as women, to you know, keep our feelings and to say we're fine, to not want to be a burden when we talk about how we're really feeling to not make people uncomfortable when we say I'm, I'm actually struggling. And so, yeah, fuck fine came from this, like truly was written and like a very deep, dark, like moment of grief of like, I'm tired of, of saying I'm fine when I'm not fine. And I didn't publicly share it. It was years later that I actually wrote it down and shared from this very vulnerable space and people just really connected. Like, I never thought this would be a t-shirt line. I never thought this would be a product, but it connect. I mean, it's still something that connects so well that people want to be able to wear that, you know, discreetly yeah. Yeah. on their chest to say, I'm not fine and I don't need to be fine in this space.
0: I remember this old old Simpsons episode where Lisa Simpson is going through something at school and her mom says to her now honey just push that down below <laughs> your knees just push it way down where nobody has to see it and Lisa's this little girl character like okay mom I'm going to do that you know and it's just it's uh-huh. a great ironic Simpsons moment where you you think yeah we were taught to say we're fine and sometimes we're not
1: yeah. I love that reference because I grew up watching the Simpsons and definitely related to Lisa. <laughs>
0: <laughs> totally, All those good, all those good things she was taught. Uh-huh. Well, I love it, Dana. What else, you know, what else, is there anything else you would want listeners to know about your project or other resources?
1: Um, I think just that there truly are people out there that get it. And I think it doesn't always feel that way. And, you know, I am, I'm an open book. I'm always available. I love when people reach out and share their story. So, you know, if, if anyone wants to share their story, I think if they want an outlet to talk about their grief, to talk about joy after grief and, you know, all the messy in between, please, you know, let me know and we should chat and I can help connect you with other people depending on the type of grief or where you're in. And it's, you know, it's one of the things I love to do the most. Did you find it was, is it,
0: is it quite a different kind of space being, you know, you were under 35 when all this happened, Mm -hmm. is that a different space than connecting with people who lose partners
1: older? I think so. Um, You know, this is a conversation I have a lot where I've had it with people who are married for 50 years and they're kind of like, well, you don't know what it's like to lose truly the person you've had your whole life. And I'm like, you're right. I don't. And you know, people that lose their spouse early, it's like you don't know what it's like to have an entire future ahead of you that you planned to be gone. And so I think it's different. One isn't harder than the other. I think there it requires a different type of connection sometimes and different type of understanding, which is why I think having these multiple spaces to connect with people is important. Um because it it feels different for me, but it's all I know, you know, in the same way for someone right. who is married for 50 years, that's all they know. And- well, as,
0: as you said, when, when you and Brad, when you were going through your cancer and then Brad's cancer, you know, is at the time when your peers were having babies and getting mm-hmm. jobs and buying houses. I mean, it's, it's just such a um, sense of being in a different space than some peers.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I joke that I'm like constantly a misfit. Like I don't quite fit. And I do truly fit with I mean, even when I moved from Detroit and started my life over after Brad died, it's like I connect a lot with, there's a lot of retired people up here whom we have great conversations and we've been through similar experiences in our lives and more, you know, the older you get, I think the more open you are about life and death than these conversations. And so I love being able to connect with people that maybe I didn't, but it's a struggle when you're in it with your peers who have no idea, just have no idea what you're going through and what that space is like.
0: Right. And young people with babies are some of the most self-obsessed people there are love them. <laughs> <laughs> right? it's like they jet, they're just all about their kid and they're very much in that thing. So I think being a young widow has to be a particular, um, just a particular pain.
1: Yeah. feels very isolating. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think what you're
0: doing is fantastic. And I really am so happy we connected first me on too. which I'm very new to. So you're a model for me on how to <laughs> protect me as well. And, um, and then just, you know, through your wonderful, wonderful resources on your website, including Brad speaking about his experience. Yeah, really thank you.
1: Thank you. Tell us again, how to find you. Um, so my website is forcedjoyproject.com. I'm on Instagram at forcedjoyproject. Um, you can email me Dana at forcedjoyproject. It's all Google forced joy project. You'll find me. <laughs> she will
0: turn up and she's yeah. got a fantastic newsletter too. That's really, um, just a shot of inspiration every time it comes out.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate that.
0: Well, thanks, Dana. And um, you can find out more about the work I do at bestlifebestdeath.com. And you've been listening to the Best Life, Best Death podcast. Thanks again to my guest, Dana Frost. <music>